Hi there. Thank you for choosing to listen to this sermon. We pray that God would use this as an added resource to benefit you in conjunction with you belonging to a local church near you. This sermon was preached at Central Baptist Church, Pretoria. 130 years of believers loving God, caring for one another, and impacting the world. Well, greetings again. It's always uh, a special privilege to prepare and uh, deliver the Sunday uh, sermon. And in fact, I was asked to do both morning services and uh, the evening service at Arcadia as well. So I think the leadership really want to make me work <laughs> before we go back. Um, but but it really is a joy. It's what I love doing. And um, very thankful for the opportunity to bring God's word again. Uh, so I thought because I'm doing two sermons today, I thought it would be nice to try and tie the two sermons together and um, have a kind of a, a theme for these two sermons today. And uh, so uh, I was led to do these sermons around the theme of the kingdom of God. And so we're going to look at the kingdom of God this morning. We're going to look at the kingdom of God this evening. And this morning we're going to be in Mark chapter 4, verses 26 to 32, where the kingdom is described as a seed that grows. And then this evening we're going to be in Matthew 13, 44 to 46, where the kingdom of God is described as a valuable Treasure, and so if you don't normally come to the evening service, um, we'd like to extend even invitation to come this evening. If you really can't, then um, I'd like to invite you to listen to uh, the sermon on our website, uh, just so that you can uh, get both of these sermons because um, they they do um, complement each other. So uh, let's get into today's text. So if you have your Bible, you can turn to. Mark chapter 4, and I'm going to read from verse 26. Mark chapter 4, from verse 26. And he said, The kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. The earth produces by itself. First the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe, at once he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. And he said, with what can we compare the kingdom of God or what parable shall we use for it? It is like a grain of mustard seed, which when sown on the ground is the smallest of all the seeds on earth. Yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and puts out large branches so that the birds of the air can make nest in its shade. Let's pray. God, thank you for this worship service so far, the singing. Uh, thank you that we can be reminded of truth and that we can be reminded why we're here. And so, Lord, we ask that you will minister to our hearts and teach us. We pray that your Holy Spirit will do what only he can do, and that is to change our hearts to be more like Christ. 
And so help us, Lord, as we look at this um, teaching about the kingdom of God. In Jesus' name, amen. So I think we all know that Jesus loved to tell stories. And so much of his teaching is actually conveyed through the art of storytelling. And Jesus was really a master at telling stories. I think definitely by far the most captivating, the most compelling preacher ever. And Jesus did what every preacher dreams of doing, and that is to take deep, profound, sometimes difficult truth, and then teach it in profoundly simple ways that people can relate to, using examples that everyday people can relate to. And we see this in Jesus' teaching about the kingdom. Now, the word kingdom is mentioned 126 times in the Gospels alone. And it's something that Jesus spoke about very, very often. Can't miss it when you read through the gospel. It's just like, there's the kingdom. Jesus, again, speaking about the kingdom. And so we wonder, why is it that Jesus taught about the kingdom of God so often? And we could say that it's because that's what his ministry was about. If you look at Matthew 4:17, right at the beginning, at the start of his ministry, it says, From that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So we see right from the beginning, Jesus knew what he came to do. He came to establish the kingdom of God on earth. He is the king. We sang about that this morning. He is the king who comes to bring rescue and restoration to his creation. And so that's why he spoke about it so often. That's why he gave so many illustrations, and that's why he told so many stories. That would be a good answer. But I think there's another reason why Jesus taught on the kingdom so often. And that is because of the counterintuitive and the surprising nature of the kingdom message. See, all the people who listened to Jesus preach, they already had this expectation. They had this hope that God would send the Messiah, would send the king to bring in the kingdom. There was great expectation, but there was very little real understanding of how the kingdom will be established. And so we read through the Gospels and we see that Jesus establishes his kingdom in ways people never expected yet in more amazing ways they could ever imagine. The kingdom of God is unlike any other kingdom. It goes against the grain of worldly wisdom. It has a surprising nature. It has an upside-down nature. The first will be last and the last will be first in the kingdom. It has an already-but-not-yet nature. And so in order for his listeners and for us to understand what it means to be part of the kingdom, what is the kingdom, to help explain it in a way people can understand, Jesus gave many stories to explain the deep and profound nature of the kingdom. And so this week, we're going to look at two such stories, starting with this morning's passage in Mark chapter 4. So imagine you are a first century Jew and you're listening to Jesus teaching about the kingdom. 
And Jesus starts off. The kingdom of heaven is like dot, dot, dot. And what do you want to hear next? What do you want to hear come from Jesus' mouth next? You would probably want to hear something like, the kingdom of heaven is like a giant sword coming to destroy the enemies of God. Or maybe you'd want to hear something like, the kingdom of heaven is like a fire. A righteous fire that burns our adversaries. Or the kingdom of God is like a massive boulder that falls down from heaven and crushes other kingdoms. But instead, you hear Jesus say, the kingdom of God is like a man who scatters seed. And then a few breaths later, the kingdom of heaven is like a tiny mustard seed. And you're like, what? We waited for centuries for a seed. Come on, Jesus. Like we have to give us something better than that. And so here we have an example of the surprising nature of the kingdom. So let's think about this. Every other kingdom throughout history, without fail, every other kingdom comes about through force. Whoever has the biggest army, whoever has the best strategy, they're the ones, whoever can subdue their enemies. Even in democracy, we can say that kingdoms are created by whoever has the, the most political power. Right, 51% of the votes means you can say what happens to 100% of the people. That's what politics is about. But here Jesus is saying that the kingdom of heaven is not something that comes through force or through power. It comes via something small and seemingly insignificant. It comes via a seed. Now what is the seed? We're not told specifically in these two stories, but we can say with confidence that the seed is the message of the kingdom. The seed is the word of God. It's, it's the Bible. It's the gospel. Now, how do we know this? Because if you read from the beginning of the chapter, you see there the parable of the sower. And Jesus actually explains in that parable that the seed is a picture of the word. The word is sown and falls on different kinds of soil, representing how different people respond to the message. And so that parable teaches us that the kingdom of God grows by a message that is heard. It comes via hearing the word. Therefore, pay attention to how you hear. That you hear with the correct kind of heart. That's what the parable of the sower is about. And now in these next two stories, Jesus perhaps is expanding, giving us more details about the seed which is growing and how the word of God, the seed which pictures the word of God, how it grows, how this kingdom grows. In the first story, the seed is sown by a man who doesn't do anything except scatter the seed. And then when the harvest is ready, he goes out and harvests. So he gets all of the benefit for none of the work. Strange. And the man also thinks it's strange, by the way. He himself, he does not know how it works. One day there's nothing. 
Next, he goes to sleep, wakes up, and wow, there's something coming out the ground. Goes to sleep again, wakes up, and he sees, oh, it's, it's gotten bigger. Goes to sleep, wakes up again. Oh, oh, wow, look at that. That's like there's a harvest. Let me get my sickle. So without the man knowing, doesn't know how, but mysteriously, silently, the seed grows into a harvest. Now, what does that mean? It means that the kingdom of God grows through the seed of the gospel, producing new life in people's hearts, in places that we cannot see with our eyes. Other kingdoms come by applying external force. The kingdom of God comes by producing life from the inside out. Other kingdoms come like a stick of dynamite that blows the soil up. But the kingdom of God comes like a seed that transforms the soil from the inside out. When other kingdoms come, it's always visible. You surrender, you submit, or you die. It's impossible not to notice, but the kingdom of God comes silently, almost secretly, in places where we don't even see it. And then we look at the second story. And the second story doesn't include a farmer. It just focuses on the seed. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed. So it's not just a seed, but it's the tiniest of seeds. When you write the lowercase letter I, and you put the dot on the I, right? that's about the size of a mustard seed. It's a teeny tiny little thing. But then, after it is sown, it grows, and it gets to be bigger and greater than all the other plants. And so there's a significant contrast between the seed, what it looks like in the beginning, and then what it looks like at the end. And so both of these stories tells us that the kingdom of God is something that starts off very, very small and seemingly insignificant, but it ends up, in the end, it ends up being something spectacular. So now that we have some information, that we're familiar with these two stories, what is there for us to learn from these stories? And I want to give us four lessons that I think we can draw from these stories about the kingdom. The first lesson, sorry, I'm not as cool as Pastor Charles with like PowerPoint and all that, so you're just going to have to take notes. Um, the first lesson is that we must not underestimate the significance of gospel proclamation. See, whenever we get closer to the elections, there's always people who say, no, I'm, I'm not going to vote. I'm like, why? Because nothing's going to change. My small little insignificant vote isn't going to change anything. And I think that's how some Christians feel about sharing the word of God. What difference is it really going to make in the grand scheme of things? What difference is it going to make in the world? What difference is it going to make in my family, in my workplace, at my school, in my community? And so we sometimes feel like in order to really break through, if we, if we want to see breakthrough, we want to see change, then we feel like we need a stick of dynamite, not a seed. We need a Molotov cocktail, not a Bible. <laughs> 
But friends, that is worldly thinking, and that's not the way of the kingdom. Jesus is saying to us, do not underestimate the transformational power of my word. And however unimpressive the initial impact may seem, this word will be effective. What began in the Galilean ministry of Jesus will by the power of God one day prove to be of ultimate significance. And so friends, we are called not to underestimate the power of God's Word. Do not underestimate the power of the gospel. Jesus died for sinners. Jesus was raised to life. Jesus is on his throne and he promises to come back. That message makes all the difference, no matter what things look like now. In two weeks' time, we're going to board a plane and we're going to go, and go to Japan and we're going to live in the Tokyo Metro which is the metro with both the largest population and the largest amount of unreached people in the history of the world. Other religions are dominant there. There are spiritual strongholds. There are cultural and language barriers. There, are, there, there is rampant materialism and hardness of heart and resistance to the Christian message. What hope do we have? What can we do? Jesus is saying, scatter the seed. Share the word. For those in South Africa, what do you do here? Facing load shedding, failing economy, political unrest, crime, unemployment, racial problems, all sorts of evil with, done without any shame in a country that's supposed to be a Christian nation. You want to see change. You want to see the kingdom of God come here. What do you do? You scatter the seed. You sow. You share the word. No, AJ, surely, surely, there, surely there must be something else. Maybe a, a, mop, a, a maybe a rally, or maybe maybe a Molotov cocktail. At least some bricks. We need something more. <laughs> no. We need to share the gospel, and we need to trust in its power. Even if we don't see it now, it is the only power that can produce real, lasting, eternal fruit. And so, friends, church, let's not underestimate the significance of gospel proclamation. That's lesson number one. Lesson number two, kingdom growth does not depend on us. Jesus makes it very clear that the seed grows and produces by itself. The word in the Greek is a, it's a funny word, automatos. Sounds like automatos, but it's actually where we get the word automatic from. And so the seed produces fruit via automatos, right? It's, it's automatically. It's self-caused. The farmer does nothing. In fact, the farmer is powerless. He can't make the seed grow. It's a mystery to the farmer. He can't explain why, but there's evidence. The growth is there. Why? Because it is God who makes it grow. So what this means is that God is the one who makes 
our gospel efforts successful. He is the one that brings life and continues to give life and makes things grow. And, and friends, this is a huge weight off of my shoulder going to Japan. It ought to be a huge weight off of our shoulders when we think about this, that we are just there to, 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 to scatter the seed, to share the word, and God is the one who will make it grow, even in our own hearts and in our own family. Um, the, the work of the word is, is, is not up to us. It's, it's God who does the work. And just like it's in the nature of seed to produce fruit, it is in the nature of God's word to produce spiritual fruit. In both these stories, the seed does not fail. The seed produces fruit. They are effective. One of my favorite quotes from Martin Luther, something I want to read to you, um, and uh, explains this point really beautifully. So, you know, Martin Luther, towering figure in the Protestant Reformation, and uh, here's a little section from his sermon that he preached uh, all the way back, March the 10th, 1522. That's what he said. Take myself as an example. I opposed indulgences and all the papists, but never with force. I simply taught, preached, and wrote God's word. Otherwise, I did nothing. While I slept or drank Wittenberg beer with my friends, Philip and Amstorf, the word so greatly weakened the papacy that no prince or emperor ever inflicted such losses upon it. I did nothing. The word did everything. Had I desired to foment trouble, I could have brought great bloodshed upon Germany. Indeed, I could have started such a game that even the emperor would not have been safe. But what would it have been? Mere fool's play. I did nothing. I let the word do its work. What do you suppose is Satan's thought when he tries to do the thing by when one tries to do the thing by kicking up a row, he sits back in hell and thinks, oh, what a fine game the poor fools are up to now. But when we spread the word alone and let it alone do the work, that distresses him. For it is almighty and takes captive the hearts. And when the hearts are captured, the work will fall of itself. So friends, there it is, the, the work of the word. The word of God did it. And the word of God continues to do it today. And it's so important for us to remember this in our day and age. Because often in our desperation to, to see change. In our desperation to see results. We stop depending on the word of God alone. And we start to add in human effort and human wisdom. And we start to become pragmatic, which is just a fancy word for saying we do whatever works. Whatever makes people listen to us. Whatever brings the crowds in. But the danger with that is that what you win people with is what you win them to. And we are most interested in winning people to Jesus. Not to our political views, not to even win them to a great church experience or a prosperous life. We are most interested in winning people 
to Jesus, an authentic, real relationship with him. And friends, that only happens when we share the word and trust the Lord to make it grow in people's hearts. So that brings us to the third lesson. In order to see the kingdom grow, we must rely more on prayer than on technique. Since God is the one who grows the kingdom and brings transformation, should we not spend more time asking God to change hearts and less time trying to find gimmicks or techniques that will make people listen to us? This is a lesson I learned in preaching the gospel in a foreign language, in Japanese. Because often I would prepare a sermon and I would print it out and uh, I, would, I would put the pages on my bed and I would pray over each and every one of those pages. And I would ask God, God, please help me to read this properly. Because <laughs> there's been a time where I, I was in a busy preaching and I forgot how to read one of the characters and it was, I had to get off stage and go and ask someone, to, like, how, how do you read this? <laughs> so I'd pray, God, please help me read this sermon, let alone a stylish delivery or anything like that. And I would look at those Japanese characters and I would cry out in desperation, God, please help me. If this message is going to help anyone, if this message is going to change you, you're going to have to do something. So I felt this tremendous need for grace and assistance when preparing and delivering those sermons. Much more than when I preach in English. And then it hit me. Is this not what it should be like every time? And I thought about it some more. Why is there a difference between preaching in Japanese and preaching in English? And I realized it's because there's a part of me that relies on my experience and my technique and my skill as an English preacher, which, which isn't as polished and refined when I preach in Japanese. And so God exposed this area of self-reliance in my ministry. And I think it applies to all of us because the results comes from God. And so we must call out to God and saturate all our gospel work and the gospel work of others in earnest prayer because a simple fumbling gospel message saturated with prayer can be a million times more effective than the most skilled and eloquent message because it is God who makes the seed grow. Therefore, we must pray. Pray for our children. Pray for our families, pray for our community, pray for our church, pray for our city, pray for our country, pray for our world, pray as individuals, pray as families, pray corporately as a church, pray that God would bring his kingdom. Because he alone can do it. But maybe you're thinking, AJ, I am praying. Like seriously, man, I'm like, I'm like praying every day. I'm pouring my heart out, I'm trusting, I'm seeking the kingdom with all my heart, but wow, man, I I just don't see change. Still struggling, still hurting, still surrounded by evil. My power still goes off when I want to cook supper. (laughs) I think this final lesson will, will hopefully be a help to you. 
And that is lesson number four. We must be patient. Both the stories tell us that the kingdom of God doesn't completely spring up overnight. It's a process that has a humble beginning. You think about the small seed Jesus started with, 12 disciples, 12 common men who followed him. That group grew to 120 believing brothers and sisters. You read the opening chapters of the book of Acts. And who would have thought that from that early small little group, the Christian message would spread over all the earth. 2,000 years later, and the seed is still growing. Because the seed takes time. So don't be discouraged when you don't see results right away. But we people, and we struggle to be patient. (laughs) And so how do these stories help us to be patient? As we wait for the kingdom to come in all its fullness. I think the first way is that it teaches us that guaranteed success will come at the end. Now think about it. Why do we sit in the traffic department for hours? (laughs) Because we know that at the end we're going to get a driver's license or we're going to get a renewed, like, (laughs) like we're going to be rewarded at the end. We sit in home affairs. Why do we sit in home affairs for hours? Because we know that that sometime in the future, (laughs) we're going to uh, get an ID document or we're going to get the passport that we're looking for. But now imagine you're sitting at home affairs and you're waiting patiently, I hope, uh, and then a staff worker comes to you and says, uh, uh, excuse me, sir, excuse me, ma'am, very sorry, but uh, our systems are offline today. Uh, So we, we can't help you today. What do you do? You're not, not going to carry, that's okay, I'll just wait. <laughs> you're not going to carry on waiting, right? You're going to give a big sigh, you're going to get up and you're going to go home. Because there's no motivation to keep waiting. It's difficult to be patient when there's no reward or mo- no motivation for success at the end. But in these stories, Jesus tells us that there is great success At the end, the seed does not stay a seed forever. The seed grows, produces life, and transforms the field and ends in a harvest. Second story, it ends in this great plant that gives shade for the birds to come. And so there's the success story. And so what we have to do is we have to put last things first in our mind. Remember that no matter how bad things seem now, the end result is decided. Jesus wins, friends. Evil will be destroyed. The people of God will share in this victory. And so therefore we can be patient for a little while longer. And we can continue to scatter the seed and to share the word. There's one more thought that helps us to remain patient as we wait for the kingdom. It helps us when we start to rejoice in the small things. In the first story, the sea changes, just small change. There's a blade, something coming out out of the earth. Then later there's an an ear, and later the full grain in the ear, and it it grows. In the second story, we're told that this large garden plant started off with this very, very small seed. 
And I think we can draw from this that we should not look down. We should not despise the small things. Imagine someone who decides to go on a diet. They want to lose 10 kgs. And the whole week they like trying their best. And then at the end of the week they step on the scale and they see they've lost 1 kg. What, should, what do they do? It's, oh man, I still have another 9 kgs to go. That's not what they do. Like, yes, I lost a kg. There's, there's progress. I, I can see it's, things are moving forward. I'm, I'm, I'm happy. There's, something's happening. I think that we can apply the same thing in our Christian walk and our gospel ministry. Don't despise the small things, but learn to rejoice in them. For the mom who stays at home in the week, washing dishes, chopping carrots, putting baby to sleep, fetching kids from school, you're thinking, what has my life come to? <laughs> what, am I, what am I doing? Am I advancing the kingdom? What's, what am I doing with my life? Think about going to the workplace every day, the daily grind, in and out of traffic. Perhaps you're thinking, what is this all for? Am I, is God really using me in this? Those who struggle to find time to do family devotions, but you're doing your best. You want to sow the seed in your children's life, but you wonder, is it enough? For the young person at school, you're inviting your friends to youth. You're trying to be a witness, not seeing much fruit, and you wonder, Am I doing enough for a missionary like me, struggling regularly with thoughts of failure? Am I doing enough? I think let this be a lesson for us. That small things become great things when we entrust it to God. We know the stories, right? Jesus used a small pack lunch to feed 5,000 people. He used the widow's two coins as an example of true giving. He uses mustard seed faith to move mountains and to build his everlasting kingdom. Do not despise the small things. God hears your fumbling prayers. He smiles at that one Bible conversation you had. He rejoices in that encouraging message that you sent to a friend. He enjoys listening to the tapping of a chopping board as a grateful mom cooks food for a family, which they will receive with thankful hearts. God sees and makes great use of the small things. And so when you wake up in the morning and you start your day, you remember that what you are doing for God is important. When you entrust those small things to the Lord, here I am, Lord, I want to be used. I'm going to be stuck in traffic. I'm going to have a busy day at work, but use me to build your kingdom. Lord, I'm going to be chopping carrots most of the day. Please, please use me to, to, to love my family well. You might not see results immediately. In the mix, in the midst, in the midst of the situation, you might be feeling, what, what, what on earth am I doing here? But it's not the end. When the kingdom comes in its fullness, it will make sense and it will be beautiful. But for now, we must be patient. I'd like to share just one quick final story, then I'll close. Before leaving Japan, coming back to South Africa, um, Avon received this really special letter from a non-Christian Japanese mom. And uh, 
Now, before that, when we finished language school, we moved into a new area, moved to our church designation. That's when COVID struck. So couldn't do ministry, couldn't do much. And so Avon was feeling like, what, what am I doing here? I'm not accomplishing anything. I'm supposed to be a missionary. But what she did not know was that God was doing something through just one friendship that she had with the Japanese lady, the lady who wrote the letter. And in this letter, this young mom told Avon how grateful she was for us coming to Japan. And with beautiful words, she shared how much Avon's friendship means to her and how Avon telling her about Jesus changed her life. And so through that one small friendship, the gospel seeds were sown in the life of in the field of one Japanese family. And who knows what God would do with that. So friends, it is a great blessing to know that the Lord of the harvest is at work in building his magnificent kingdom. And so we should not give up. We should share the word and we should trust the Lord. We should pray. We should be patient. We should rejoice in the small things. Continue doing those things. Until the very end. And we look forward to that day where Jesus comes and makes all things new. And says, well done, good and faithful servant. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you that you are king. And that you are a good king, that you are a triumphant king, that you are a king who can be trusted, and that you are a king unlike any other. Today we've learned that you are a king with a kingdom, a kingdom that is unlike any other kingdom, more beautiful, more graceful, more life-giving than any other kingdom. And we are grateful to be part of it. We are grateful that you made it possible for us to be part of your kingdom through your death on the cross and through your resurrection that secures our eternal life with you. And so Jesus, teach us more about what it means to be part of your kingdom. Teach us what it means to live in the world as citizens of heaven. As you've taught us to pray, we pray your kingdom come. Your kingdom come in our hearts, in our family in our community, in our country, every part of the world, may more people be part of this kingdom of, of God. May many more see your truth. May many more see your love. And as we patiently share the word, may you cause it to grow, even when we don't see it, cause it to grow, God, in people's hearts, cause it to produce fruit. Without you, we can do nothing. So Jesus, please do what you only can do. And us to build your kingdom in our midst. We ask in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon. Find out more about Central Baptist Church at www.central.org.za.